From M4D Insider, I'm Arun Jankatakam, and this is M4D Insider News. Welcome to episode three. We're coming to you from London and Toronto, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Janet Schulet. How are you, Janet? Yeah, great. Thank you. Fantastic. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. Mobile payments are revamping the way that education is financed. Phoenix International, a Uganda-based solar company, have designed an education loan product called ReadyPay School Fees. Now, Janet, we've seen solar pay go for a long time. It's it's probably close to a decade since MCOPA launched, or at least eight years. There's been a lot of innovation, but this is the first time someone has actually used it to create a product for education. And that's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen things go from sort of solar light bulbs and flashlights and phone charging to offering flat screen TVs and cooking appliances. But you're right. This is the first time we've seen uh, a loan product specifically for education. So, so far, they have dispersed 30,000 loans and they've got they've done some surveys and they've got some data. Borrowers, children are now 20% less likely to be absent from school. So really, you know, this is quite significant in terms of loans dispersed and, and they're seeing some tangible results. No, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest issues when it does come to school fee payment is that if those payments don't arrive on time, a lot of children have to stay home from school. And of course, you know, that impacts um, their education and, and progress. School fees loans works on the fact that you've paid off for your solar device and now you can essentially like remortgage, use it as collateral to to get another loan. And the the company, in this case Felix International, have already a lot of data points over the you know 18 months or 24 months that you took to pay off the first loan. So they they are aware of your elasticity to pay, repay, and it's very different from all the other types of loans which you can get, which are more like, you know, they're unsecured, they are very few data points. I mean, payment data points, they say they have like 8,000 data points on from social media and phone calls and all sorts of things, but actual payment transactions is few and far between. So this really is taking it to another level. You know, absolutely. And I think, too, from the cu- customer perspective, you know, the payment you're making is similar to what you were doing to pay off your your solar home system. So it's not like it would be more payment or, you know, you know, you've done it because you've paid it off entirely at some point. So so it's it's definitely feasible. So in a similar vein, earlier this month, Diffid announced that it was partnering to launch the world's biggest edtech hub. So 20 million pounds is going to the project, and they've partnered with the University of Cambridge, ODI, Afri Labs, and many others. And the goal is really to find innovative ways to address the global learning crisis through education technology. So what I found staggering is that more than 380 million children worldwide will finish primary schools without being able to read or do basic math. And if that trend continues, by 2030, just one in 10 children in the poorest countries will be on track to gain secondary level skills. So the challenge in developing countries is that while governments or schools buy education technology like laptops and tablets, 
there are not many opportunities for teachers to learn how to use the technology to support children's learning, or the technology is not in the right language, or schools or governments can't maintain or replace the tech. So this EdTech Hub will look at how innovations can be evaluated, scaled up, and used across developing countries. Fascinating. What's the EdTech Hub going to do? Yeah, so the project's going to run for eight years. Uh, it's primarily going to provide evidence and research to help develop new technologies and digital tools for children. It's also going to provide a global platform for sharing ideas and effective practice for technology companies, investors, and decision makers. It's also going to bring innovation to communities, classrooms, and ministries um, with a dedicated team that's going to work directly with users to sort of test and tailor tech. And um, the project's also going to offer technical assistance to sort of help international governments who are sort of keen to build up their ICT to sort of get more information on how to integrate these sort of digital education tools in their countries. This is really interesting, Janet. I think we can look forward to seeing how this develops and, and education is such a key element to getting people out of poverty over long periods of time of generations. And, and this could actually make a pretty big impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, while it is a long project, I assume they'll start to share sort of findings um, relatively early. And as we know, you know, technology solutions are not one size fits all. So where they can sort of glean um, information and help other countries make those important decisions about what to invest in, the better. In last week's episode, we discussed about Facebook's Libra. We expected to rumble along, but it is gaining so much attention. So we thought, you know, let's give you a few quick updates. Firstly, Libra's currency draws instant response from regulators, particularly Facebook's cryptocurrency Libra has been decried by the French finance minister saying it must not happen. Whilst the Bank of England mulls retail payment service access for Facebook's Libra, Mark Carney says Facebook's Libra will face stringent regulation. So this one actually is really interesting because getting access to the faster payment network will be huge for Libra. But yeah, there seems to be a lot of calls for greater regulation. Also, Facebook co-founder says that Libra coin could shift power into the wrong hands and regulators should not underestimate the digital currency's disruptive potential, a story carried in the Financial Times. And leaving us with wondering, you know, so is Libra really targeting the unbanked? You know, surely it's much easier to work with payment infrastructure in developed world and, and get mainstream adoption there first. With regards to Libra, are they sort of actively trialing it or, or planning to sort of launch in specific countries? In No, they haven't actually detailed that. So, I mean, it is due to launch sometime in 2020. I wonder if this is a situation where a uh, sandbox may be beneficial um, as a sort of small pilot in a country or something similar to help regulators better understand how this is going to impact and disrupt existing digital currency and, and payment systems. I absolutely agree, Janet. And I think, you know, the FCA in the UK have set up a reg sandbox about five years ago, 
and others have also followed. So there's there's a lot of infrastructure that Facebook could tap into too. So last week, a case study was published on using drones to perform agricultural analysis in areas of Benin. Um, this was a pilot done by CRS and NetHope on a project that addresses cashew product productivity for smallholder farmers. So the hypothesis was that drones could collect farm boundary information faster than traditional methods. And the traditional method would really be walking around a farmer's plot boundaries. And so drone software as well, um, and the imagery that, that comes along with it can also, you know, count the number of trees, detect co- crop stress and weeds, identify where there had been forest fires and, you know, determine where there was um, additional planting space. So one big finding from the pilot was the potential cost and time savings that drones can offer this activity. Not really a surprise, but, you know, good to know. Um, for instance, they looked at mapping the plots of 32,000 smallholder farmers using drones and using traditional methods. And with traditional methods, it would take 100 workers 160 days to map the farm plots on foot. However, with drones, it would take two workers 10 days to do the same amount of work. And, you know, that also came with a an almost $300,000 cost savings. And this was mostly due, of course, to reduced labor needs. So that was really interesting, I found. Yeah, I mean, people have been trying to solve this problem for a long time, and it seems like drones could be the way to go. What are some of the other advantages they found? Yeah, so the drones can be used in areas of high risk, where it would be dangerous to send a person. And the drone imagery can also give you survey grade topographic maps. So this allows farmers to better plan, you know, the slope of their plots. It also helps with potential landslide preparedness, irrigation and land erosion. And also the imagery can actually um, allow you to see things that the human eye cannot perceive. So this is things like um, you know, over or under fertilization issues or issues with leveling as well. And, you know, with drones, repeated flights over the same plot can actually show improvements or degradation over time. And it also provides really timely and informed decisions about farming practices. I can imagine so many more use cases as well in addition to this, uh, particularly around uh, pharma and crop insurance. And how about the limitations? Uh, did they find any any issues? Or... Yeah, so the pilot touched on a few. Um, perhaps not a surprise, but uh, the use of drones can be problematic in areas with poor internet connectivity. Uh, this is because internet's required to retrieve the information from drones, and um, the software that does that actually is you know requires quite high bandwidth. And um, at the same time, drones need to be paired with actionable intel for use of them to be relevant to smallholder farmers. And so what the what the researchers found that with the use of drones, while um, field work decreased drastically, the amount of data processing time and office work increased. So there's almost, you know, a switch to what types of work is done um, when working with these tools And so the other thing that was sort of a potential limitation was that the cost of hiring drone operators is extremely country specific and, you know, varies a great deal. And then similarly, uh, different countries have 
differing laws and regulations around drone use. So another sort of consideration when when projects and companies are looking to potentially use drones in agriculture. Our last story is on how MSMEs are the backbone of developing economies and new research shows how digital platforms can boost their impact. The mobile internet has really made a big difference in emerging markets. It's given them access to the internet for the first time. And this piece of work that has been carried out shows in, in detail how MSMEs are now using it to access funding as well as promoting their business through social media platforms and also like becoming a better entrepreneurs and, you know, like accessing training through their smartphones. So it's really quite fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, and specifically, you know, um, platforms to learn about becoming a better entrepreneur. So for instance, the Jumia sort of training that they provide to their merchants. That's so fascinating to me. I mean, as an entrepreneur myself, I want this type of, um, of stuff availability, available to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. It's great. You know, the other thing actually that I found in really interesting is that how merchants use the platforms in ways in which the platforms themselves have never even conceived of. So they just use the tool to meet their needs. And from country to country, it changes and it's really localized, not by the platform, but by the users. Yeah, that must be so fascinating to see the variation between countries and even between sort of regions within a country. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this is a really good piece of research. And I would encourage you all to go and read more about it. The, the link's in the show notes. So thank you so much for listening. That brings us to the end of our third episode. And we really look forward to you joining us next week. Janet, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Janshu. Great. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Arunjay.